Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Mission Log Supplemental Number 27. Another one from Star Trek Las Vegas. Oh my goodness, it's another edition of Mission Log, Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Uh, I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. And each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of... St- Oh, wait, wait, no, 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 not past the yams. Not not this week, Ken. Not this week, because it's uh, it's Thanksgiving here in the U.S. You know, Canada had their Thanksgiving like seven weeks ago. Wow. I know, they're crazy, right? They are. They are. And the U.K., of course, doesn't even give thanks. (laughs) For anything. (laughs) I don't know if you know this about them. They're a completely (laughs) thankless group of people. Actually, uh, hi, everybody in the U.K. I hope you're enjoying your, you know, Thursday here in the States, it's Thanksgiving. I think, like, right along, actually, the U.S.-Canada border, they know something's up. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine who lives just outside of Detroit. They're apparently all about the Detroit Lions game, even though he's in Canada. So, like, I'd, you... I'd think they'd be waiting for some sort of curling match or something. So, like, if you popped into a Tim Hortons and you're like, <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, they'd just kind of give you, a, a like, a, a knowing wink, just a little well, nod, like, I, I get you. Maybe, maybe okay. so. Although, you know, I, I do live near the Canadian border myself. There are lots of Tim Hortons on this side of the border. Oh, okay. Well, lucky you. Yeah. yeah. Hey, another only another 58 more minutes of this, people. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Uh, so for people who don't know about about the uh, the convention that John and I have been going to for the past number of years, uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, of course. Um, I guess one thing to know about it is it, it involves a lot of Star Trek. And the other thing uh, to know about it is it happens in Las Vegas. Now, if you don't know much about Vegas, uh, you start with liquor <laughs> and you realize that's not nearly enough. And, yeah. uh, and, and all of which is to say uh, we have finally gotten over our respective um, celebrations and are putting together now the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the other show from Las Vegas. Well, yeah, the first show was our supplemental where we, we did our stage show, Song and Dance, where we, yeah. it's kind of a little more formalized mission log thing. But if you happen to come to Vegas, you will find the two of us sitting behind a table and, and meeting and greeting and chatting. And that's fantastic. And every now and then we get out the mic and we record a little something. And it's just very impromptu. People drop by and sometimes they're listeners of the show. And sometimes they have no idea idea who we are why we're putting a mic in front of them yeah <laughs> but they're good yeah. sports about it and um and is the case with with this show we have a blend of listeners and non-listeners and and a little bit of uh star trek celebrity in there as yeah well. yeah there is there's there's a luminary mm-hmm. at least one yeah yeah uh we grabbed uh, one of our listeners uh was somebody who actually had a really good story that i loved um, so, so I can't remember her last name. I'm terrible about that, but, uh, oh, Brooke, you okay. know, Brooke, Yeah, you, you know, Brooke, we all know Brooke. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> probably do. If you go, if you go to Vegas, you're, you're excited now because you're like, oh, I always see her. Yeah. She's a, she's the, 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 the Starfleet Jedi or, uh, she's a, she's Kira or 
any number of people. Because she's got this whole costume thing, but you'll hear about that. Um, who else is with us, John? Well, you're going to hear from the Commodore. The Commodore. So definitely you want to hear that because if you if you want to join Barfleet, then <laughs> the Commodore will tell you how, tell you what that's yes. all about. If and, sitting around drinking is not nearly rigid enough for you. <laughs> right, right. Command structure and drinking. Yeah, so you'll we'll hear from better. the Commodore. Yeah. And uh, you're going to hear from Rick Sternbach. He is our Star Trek luminary for the episode. We talk about design in the 23rd and 24th centuries and, um, and more. There, there's more after that. So we, we have uh, a lot of little interviews kind of stacked up for you to listen to. And then we'll be back the next Thursday with our regularly scheduled mission log. Yes, next week we tackle 10, man. Wait, I'm sorry. There's no comma. Tin Man. You're stealing my best material. I, I handcrafted that joke, and, uh, and you're taking the good stuff. So, um, first of all, Brooke, yes. the first time I saw you, I didn't want to talk to you because I was pretty sure that you were an a visitor. And so part of me is like, oh, I want to talk to her. But then I'm like, oh, what am I going to say to her? It's dumb. And then I realized that it's, that's not her. But wow, like like no costume, no makeup, no anything. You you bear a striking resemblance. I, I keep hearing that from people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, were you a fan? I mean, like, so did you hear that from people? And you were like, yeah, I know, because I watch it. Or you didn't watch it. I mean, talk to me about how did you end up coming into this? I, I've been a turkey since I was, oh, probably... 13 or 14. Okay. Um, and no, so I honestly did not think I looked anything like her. Really? Until people were like, oh, you got to cosplay as Kira. you got to do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a go. And then I, I honestly didn't, I still thought people were crazy. And then it wasn't until I, like, I had a photo op with her and I went, oh, maybe we did kind of look similar. <laughs> and, and frankly, I mean, we just... When, when you're at a convention like this, people see what they want to see. Sure. So it's kind of like, I, I don't know that I look exactly like her. It's just people want to see her. And right. so when they see me, I look enough like her that, that that's, that's what they see. One of the cool things, uh, so you mentioned your cosplay. And, and what's really interesting, you do, well, there are a couple of things we want to talk about. You do this really interesting mashup of <laughs> Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah. Now... When I've tried to describe it to people, I get this sort of, uh, you know, kind of response from people who think that it's, okay, it, it sounds gimmicky or something. It's awesome. Oh, thank the, you. The, the Star Trek Jedi stuff that you do, because it's sort of like, well, what would you say about it? I mean, it's definitely next gen. It's also definitely Jedi. But how would you, how would you lay it out? Well, so basically I took the shape of Star Wars and put the colors of Star Trek on it. Um, and uh, with, you know, Star Trek hips and badges and things like that right. and a lightsaber and a phaser and a tricorder and a, and a sonic screwdriver sonic screwdriver <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that from Star Wars I don't or Star Trek yeah. no, yeah. no. oh interesting um, and so like I've had people look at it and they go oh you're from Star Trek and then a bit later they go oh no it's what's the lightsaber doing there and then other people the other way around it's like oh that's Star Wars what's the, what's the Star Trek for? thing yeah, yeah right. you know right. and I've only ever had one person give me a real crusty for doing it. Really? Which actually disappoints me. I wanted more people to, to get upset. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> how, how long I have you been doing costuming, though? I'm um, I, I kind of grew up at a theater. Oh, and, okay. and so I've, I've done costumes 
professionally, I don't even know how many years now, but since I was, since before I was in college. Okay. I, so. And then how long have you been coming to Star Trek conventions? Or this is my stuff? sixth year at this convention. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I know that I've seen you around in some awesome costumes, and, and like Ken, I... I thought that you were the real oh. Nana. Oh. <laughs> I, I love being mistaken for a beautiful person. That's fantastic. <laughs> nice. Well, nice. you are a beautiful person. You're being mistaken for another one. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh thank so, you. So one of, the, one of the cool things that I was surprised, this is my fourth convention, and I was amazed how immediately there was, this, there was like almost an instant community. Yes. For me and the people that I hung out with. And that, that community has gotten a bit bigger. I mean, there are certain people that I look forward to seeing. But that community thing, I sort of like, well, that's something that happens to me. I don't know if it's something that happens to everybody. I don't know how that goes. Mm-hmm. You're doing this thing here that is really cool, and it, and, it, and it so highlights, I think, the community aspect of it. You've got a, um, remind me, what is the exact name of the booth where you are? Garrick's Tailor Shop. Garrick's Tailor Shop. And this is for people who, if, if they have a costume that they have poured their heart and soul into, or maybe yep. they poured a lot of money into, or yep. something like that, something has gone wrong. You guys... They come to us and we fix their broken dreams. <laughs> which, so, is, which is both poetic and kind of. Here's the thing, though. So, so yeah. I, so I don't know if you know this part. Okay. I said to her, so what do you like? You look at it and decide how much time it's going to take, and that's how you figure out your cost or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no charge. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a mate. So now, uh, for people who don't understand, we're in the vendor room at Star Trek Las Vegas, and Garrix, you have a table here. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. And did I mean did creation just sort of donated to you? Do you say I'm doing a, a non-profit, yeah. just well, a service? I kind of heard through the grapevine that, that um, creation was going to be doing this and that they were looking for a professional costumer to help to, to help run it. Okay. You know, not, um, I mean, cosplayers are incredibly creative and, and stuff like that, but they wanted somebody who actually does it. Right. And so I contacted them and just gave them my resume and said, this is what I do. And so that's, that's how we got started doing this. So this is the second year that we've done it. So, and I just want to wrap my head around it. Okay, somebody shows up and they, they have a, a split seam or something. You're mm-hmm. just coming, oh, okay, I'll, I'll piece that back together. And then somebody else shows up with, uh, well, here, here's my pattern. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, go to, you, you know, know. There, there are some people that come in, they're like, they want complete and total alterations. Mm-hmm. And we just, we're not set up to do that. Right. But, you know, we can, we can help fix things. We'll sew on patches, um, broken fingernails. Um, we'll... We're not the best. We've got some stuff to help with prosthetics, mm-hmm. um, but there are people around here that are more skilled with that than we are. But we're, we're here if they, they need that, you know, and, just and, anything. And what's the turnout been like? I mean, how, how busy Really busy, especially or? today. Saturday's yeah. really been quite busy. So, yeah, we and we did have somebody who, you know, when somebody comes up, I, I like saying, please state the nature of the costuming emergency. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and his response was, I sat down. Oh, and he'd split out no. his seam. So it was oh. like, oh, well, come behind. We've got a little modesty screen. And he, we fixed his his emergency. And and then everything was, was all happy and good. Now, I'd imagine that would be kind of the, the common thing, right? Oh, I ripped this. Can you, you know? Mm-hmm. But what are the more complex tasks that you've taken on here? Oh, well, the really complex stuff we, we won't do. No, no. So, right. yeah. Because um, if people come up and they're like, I want to have this. Oh, I guess the most complex thing I did was I took in a vest okay. for somebody, so, which yeah. really isn't all that complex. But but, but, again, but it's a free service yeah. that people are going yeah. here at the convention. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really cool. So anybody coming uh, to future shows, I mean, first of all, if you do have a costume emergency, look for Garrett's. But then the other thing is if you're wandering around and, and you see uh, Kira, 
There's a 50% chance. How are you seeing, Brooke? Uh, thanks for stopping by our table. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. We're visited now by a dignitary. Oh, um, wait, I got, a, I got a thing. You got a thing? Drinks. The final frontier. Does that sound fair? That was good. All right. That was good. I was going to remark that uh, so often on Star Trek, when you meet an admiral, yep. a commodore, yep. run and hide. Yep. Go away. It's bad news. You don't want to talk to those people. You don't want to talk to those people. They're going to make you do we, something stupid. But we found one that we want to talk to. Yes. We found the commodore, the commodore yes. of Barfleet. Wait, wait, did I mispronounce Starfleet? No, no I, I don't didn't. believe you did. Well, yeah, you did. If, if you were trying to stay, say Starfleet, then yes, you did. But I didn't. What I meant to I say was to say Barfleet. Barfleet. Yeah, bar so bar with a B. And the man with us is the Commodore of Barfleet. Yeah. So, Commodore, I'm going to ask you to describe to our listeners what Barfleet is. Well, the most simple explanation is that we are a Star Trek club with a drinking problem or a drinking club with a Star Trek problem. Oh. But at the end of the day, what we are is a multi-state, not-for-profit social group that throws parties at conventions. We do our best to entertain in a safe and friendly environment to give people a place to go where they can hang out, drink, dance, socialize, and uh, be safe. And you have chapters all over the U.S.? Well, mainly in the Midwest right Okay. Now. We're in Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan, Chicago, Indianapolis, uh, and Connecticut, and Detroit. And how many members roughly do you have? Around 650 right now. Whoa. 650 dedicated Star Trek drinkers. You could say that. Not, a, not. I will say not even all of our members are are Star Trek fans either at all or heavily, but we have lots of nerds, lots of geeks, and everybody is into some part of fandom that they are very passionate about. It sounded like the conversation that we were having with someone else earlier. I mean, one of the cool things about coming to a convention like this is you almost have auto-community in a way. Like, you know... When you walk in, you know, to certain bars or certain parties, you know, you've got some baseline with this group of people. And I would imagine that's one of the cool things about Barfleet as well. I mean, if you get the joke and if you want to hang, there's a pretty good chance when you show up at that party, you're going to have someone to talk to about something. Absolutely. It's not going to be like a, oh, so you like science fiction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're all on the same page. What, what does one do to, to join or be, be a part of Barfleet or find a Barfleet party? Well, we have a Facebook presence. It's Barfleet. We try to put all of our upcoming events that we're doing publicly on that. Um, if you're in a city that's close enough to uh, one of our ships and you want to have a lucrative career in Barfleet, an all-volunteer organization, um, then you can certainly talk to the local chapter's captain and see about uh, getting on board. But that's a lot of work. I mean, if you're, if you're going to join us as a full-time member, it's a commitment of, of work at conventions. We do... A lot of security. We do a lot of, of bartending. We do a lot of moving the large objects around because we bring our own bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. So, because you've gone back and forth, you've said you know our bars and you've said our ships. Talk to me about that. that and this is something you and I haven't talked about. What is the actual structure? The structure is um, much like other uh, Star Trek fan organizations, mm-hmm. in that we have a central command, which is Barfleet Command. And then below that, we have uh, each chapter is modeled as a ship, except for Columbus, which is Barbase Columbus. Um, nice. 
and they are the largest of our chapters in terms of, of participation usually. Um, and there is a, a set, the people at the top at Barfleet Command level are, are like the best at, at some of the jobs we do. So our, our Surgeon General, uh, and to, to clarify, <laughs> uh, bartenders are medical. Oh, so, yeah, of course. Yeah. so do- our doctors yeah. are our bartenders, and the Surgeon General is our chief bartender. Yeah. Um, then we have our, our head security, our head uh, insecurity, because you also need an insecurity department. Uh-huh. And their job is basically if one of us in command is overly stressed or, or feeling like there is just too much going on to handle, an insecurity officer's job is to take that hit, panic, and let us get on with the day. So, so now I. I started going to conventions when I was, I don't know, maybe 14 or something. And and some conventions are very much about, like, the the professional experience, the actual panels and all that. And some are very heavily geared toward the room parties and all that stuff. What makes you guys different? I mean, what's the bar fleet experience as opposed to just, like, oh, I showed up at a convention and I went to the big party in the ballroom or I went to the room party where there was, you know, a bowl of pretzels and... Well, what we try to do and usually succeed at doing is taking a suite or multiple suites of, of a hotel and turning it into basically a nightclub. I mean, we bring our own bar, as I said. Um, the, the smallest single component would be a 5x5, five five, three-piece, all wood with shelving and everything else, lighting. Uh, all, of our, all the ships have their own bar, and they can all be joined together into one very large bar, although that's never really happened. Uh, at ShyCon 7, we had five bars, but they weren't all connected. They were just roaming around. The, well, not roaming. Right. Scattered yeah. around the room. Uh, we also bring a full DJ rig, full light kit. Um, we set up a dance floor whenever we possibly can so that we can also have that going on. We do our best to have, if we have multiple rooms, to keep the dancing and the bar separate so there's also socialization. If we can have enough room to have just a lounge for people to hang out. So, you know, a normal room party tends to be a fairly small affair. They don't have, uh, they don't commit to changing a lot of what they get. You go into a, a room party and there's beds and there's some furniture and the standard lighting. We change all of that. You come into one of our suites and, and there are no beds. There are no, there's no furniture if, if we can get rid of it. <laughs> and we'll put it all back exactly the way we found it, if not better. Yeah. I mean, we have fixed things as we put them back in the room. <laughs> that the hotel didn't even know about. And now, as the Commodore, you're the founder of Barclay? I'm the founder, yeah. Okay, uh, but there, there's an important person who's part of that higher structure of Barclay. Yes. Yeah. When we find somebody who we feel significantly contributes to what we do, mm-hmm. or is somebody we have been lucky enough to meet who is very important to Star Trek, uh, we make them an admiral. I, Commodore is the highest actual working rank in Barfleet. Admirals are honorary, and they only have as much responsibility as they feel like. We certainly will take their orders as long as they're not ridiculous. And on top of uh, the admirals that we have, we have the highest-ranking member of our fleet, the Fleet M. Ooh. And that is Rod Radden. Oh, see? That he, guy gets everything. He finally amounted to something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It is nice, although he is working for his dad's organization. I mean, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, nepotism at its worst. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. I was very excited, though, because I was told that, uh, that that should I decide to pursue a career in Barfleet myself, I could mm. probably go straight to Admiral. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to being that kind of jerk and having people say, sir. <laughs> so obviously, um, having just stated I'm really not interested in doing that much, 
This is not something I would want to do, but I'm curious for people. Uh, Buffalo is not that far from Cleveland. No, it's not. Uh, and, you know, there are other places that it's near, mm-hmm. and other places are near Cleveland. Let's say somebody's listening to this and they think, wow, how do I get a ship in Cleveland? I mean, if somebody, I mean, do you, do you, do you, how, how, how do you end up with an outpost someplace else or a ship someplace else? Well, we have a, um, we try to grow slowly, uh, and we usually try to grow in such a way that the next ship out is within support range of an existing ship. Okay. So, because there's a lot of driving, there's a lot of training of people to do things our way because we're pretty particular about safety and sanitation and parties and things. So we don't want to just say, oh, you have a group of people and you want to start a ship? Sure, right. go ahead. But well, we've, we've never done that. We're never going to. We have very particular. But if you are close enough and you want to consider doing that, then certainly you can talk to myself or any captain or a local captain, or you can get online and uh, get a hold of us on the web. We have a, a, a site at barfleet.org, which is currently in transition. It's a it's a working website, but it's not as pretty as we want, and that will be changing. And we have um, a Facebook presence, uh, again, just Barfleet. And uh, you can also find us at the cons that we will list on that, uh, on that uh, Facebook page. Come find us there, and we'll talk. Commodore, thank you very much for your time. Thank you both. Thank you, sir. I got to say, one of my favorite things about Rick Sternbach, and, and I'm, I'm name dropping. Yeah. Rick and I have been in communication for several years, long before I actually started doing Mission Log. And the cool thing is, I will make some Star Trek joke on back in the day on Mac OS Can or on Mission Log now. And then I'll get this email that says, funny story. <laughs> For example, uh, people who cannot see us, and through the magic of audio, you can't. Uh, John and I actually did pull off costumes this year. Well, we put on costumes this we year. We did. Yeah. We are the frozen people from the neutral zone in season one of Next Gen. So you, you're making a dashing LQ Sonny Clemens, Thank complete you, with guitar. Thank you kindly, sir. Yeah. And, and you are, are, are just about as uptight as a Ralph Offenhouse could possibly be. Into Offenhouse... <laughs> And we're missing our Claire Raymond, who was here earlier. Yeah, she's insufferable. Yeah, she is the insufferable Claire Raymond. But we also have sitting here with us Rick Sternbach, who has worked on design. Is it fair to say design for Star Trek since the motion picture? Since the motion picture, yeah. Uh, a, a, an illustrator an illustrator in Hollywood, uh, uh, you know, will do sketch work, will do storyboards, uh, you know, Sketches of sets before they're even built mm-hmm. gives the director, you know, something, uh, something to, to look at, plan shots. Uh, sometimes we build models out of uh, foam core, and the directors love those because they can twist them around. They can look at different angles. They can decide, oh, we're going to run the crane with the camera through this window. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, for what we were just talking about, you started to tell us a story about these. Well, about this show, anyway. I mean, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that you did not survive from cryogenics into the 24th century. No, but but the label on my capsule uh, survived just fine. That's very nice, and I understand you had a, you had a very well known uh, uh, other compatriot who also did not survive. Yes, uh, Michael Kuder, our uh, scenic art uh, scenic artist, and uh, you know, Mike, Mike and I. Uh, well, more me. I I would put. Uh, you know, as many jokes as I could into the show. Yeah, non-obtrusively, you right. know, lots of, lots of anime references, because uh, I was, you know, I'm still an anime fanatic. You started to tell us something about paper, tape, what was, 
What was the story you were saying? About well, in, in the early days of Next Generation, okay, uh, we did not have all the technology for, um, you know, doing doing fabulous graphics on the computer. Uh, although we did get our Macintoshes in, uh, you know, pretty early. Mm -hmm. um, but all of the other uh, printing technology, uh, you know, it took a while to get into the office. So a, a lot of a lot of times, what we do is is take regular colored script paper and uh, Xerox some labels onto those, cut them out, hit them with a little spray glue and bingo, on the set. Good grief. That's kind of amazing. That actually That's kind of how we put the podcast together, actually. It is a bit, yeah. yeah. A lot of cut and paste. Yeah. A lot of yeah. cut and paste, that's true. So there is something that I... I want to go further back than we are right now. There is something that I did not realize until we started getting into the movies. When we got between the animated series and Star Trek The Motion Picture, I didn't know this whole thing about Star Trek Phase 2. When you came on and started working on The Motion Picture, were, we, were you working on The Motion Picture or were you working on Phase 2? No, I, well, when I first came out to uh, Los Angeles, it mm -hmm. was uh, in late 77. Um, and I went around to a number of studios, talked to a number of art directors. Uh, MGM was doing Meteor. Uh, <laughs> and um, I went to Paramount. I met with Joe Jennings, who was the production designer on Phase 2. Okay. Met Mike Miner, wonderful artist who's no longer with us. Uh, met some of the set designers. And I left my, you know, my card, my, my uh, samples, um, you know, uh, Jennings said, you know, they, they didn't have anything for me at the time. Uh, so I said, Look, thanks for seeing me anyway. I went to a number of other places. I got uh, three months worth of work on Disney's The Black Hole. Wow. Uh, I love that movie. So I got, uh, you know, I, I, I got a taste of what production was like. Um, that ended when they went back to work on the script. You know, they laid us all off. Uh, I did some little freelance jobs, and uh, one day, you know, this is months after my first meeting at Paramount, I get a call from Joe Jennings. They're announcing the feature in the morning, would you like to come in? Wow. And, All right. you know, what was I going to say? No? <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean... For me, it, it was a, it just took an instant to go from a television series to Star Trek the motion picture. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that was like eight months of uh, working on new control panels, uh, uh, you know, uh, designing, uh, you know, certain other uh, bits of graphical signage and... Uh, you know, helping out with, with uh, the look of some of the set pieces. And uh, from right from that very moment, it was an amazing family of people to work with. Uh, John Cartwright, the lead set designer, father of Angela and Veronica. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot from him. Uh, Joe Jennings left to do a little uh, series called Shogun. Mm. And Harold Michelson came in as production designer. And Harold was an astounding teacher. Uh, he worked with Hitchcock. You know, he did wonderful storyboards. Uh, he knew production design inside and out. 
and I learned about this this um, technique called projection, where you take uh, the blueprints from the set designers, and can you can turn them into accurate perspective views, which again is a big help. Mm -hmm. um, you know, today we can do models. Today we can do CGI. Uh, you can you can grow a set uh, from from the bottom up in computer graphics. Um, we didn't have that back in 1978. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Um, you know, and we didn't even have a Xerox machine in the office. I had to go across the lot to get copies made. <laughs> well, you're only doing visual work. What would you need with a copy of something visual? That's right. just yeah. that's just crazy. Well, well, you know, we were doing we were doing paste ups of right, control right. panel things. <laughs> right, and, right. Uh, sending them out to get uh, photographic negatives shot. Then we would glue. Uh, well, we did a lot of that on Next Generation mm -hmm. when that finally came about. But uh, back on the first motion picture, uh, you know, I did a lot of control panel art. Uh, we sent that out. The, the uh, stage effects guys down on stages, uh, uh, down on stage eight, mm -hmm. uh, would put colored gels on the backs of these photo negatives and light them and instantly turn them into, you know, the future. This is it's a whole different world. It's a whole different way of doing things that fortunately got much, much better. Right. This is probably a ridiculous question because I know we're talking about decades of work. We're talking about... I mean, the other thing that's been interesting is I've gotten to see some of your some of your work, both in presentations that you've done here and also just in things that you've shown me personally. And it's, it's interesting how, I mean, it can be big things like a ship, it can be small things like a decoration on Chicote's wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, I know the number of things that you have, that, you, that have, you've either participated in or that have come from you is, is gargantuan. So I'm going to ask you to do the most silly thing in the world. What's your favorite? Do you have one thing that you're like, every time you look at it, you're like, well... I don't care if I maybe didn't like that quite as much. I don't care if I like that. I nailed that. You know, people people ask me this about the ships uh, mm -hmm. because they're so iconic and so visible. Right. Um, you know, I would tell them that uh, it's a toss-up for me between Voyager and the Klingon attack cruiser, the Voyager class, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, and, and I have to say it's a, it's a big uh, tip of the hat to Matt Jeffries. Who designed the original Klingon battlecruiser? Mm -hmm. um, you know the shapes of the nacelles, the uh, some of the 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 Klingon styling that that you know we developed. Uh, you know it all came from Matt. Um, and you know you see a ship with a saucer and a secondary hull and two two nacelles. Okay, yeah. it goes back to Matt. Right. Uh, and and you know we just love being part of that that lineage um, you know it, every major every major piece of equipment that I've gotten to do uh, has sort of been my favorite at the time okay um, but you know Voyager and, and the Vorcha uh, I, I, you know we put a lot of work into those um, the model makers just you know you, you think I put a lot of work into the drawings the model makers had to make these things real yeah. and big. Okay, Voyager is five feet long. 
Okay, when John Eves did the uh, Enterprise E for the features, okay, ILM built a model 10 feet long. Mm. I gave them blueprints that were five feet long, and they doubled them. Mm. You know, and these guys put an astounding amount of work, you know, to make us look good. Right. Um, and you know, all together, all of the, the the film and television product that comes out, it's all this massive team effort, and that's you know, that, that's sort of why we're we're here, you know, this weekend is celebrating all of that. Right. Um, forgive me, but along the same lines, um, Vulcans, Romulans, Klingons, humans, name it. Is there a particular culture for which you have an affinity? I mean, is there one that you're like, oh, I like doing them? Because, I mean, you just mentioned the, the sort of Klingon sort of visual terminology in a way a moment ago. Is there one that you're like, oh, they're, they're the most fun to play with or they're an interesting one to play with? Or is every, is every challenge a challenge? Well, I... I I, I haven't really contributed that much to the the, the look of the, the other alien cultures. Okay. okay. Um, you know, that's a lot of makeup work. It's a lot of uh, wardrobe work. Okay. Um, um, Thinking in terms of, most, like, ships and accoutrement, though, I mean... Well, okay, in the... In the okay, as far as the... As far as the... The, uh, the hardware from the different yeah. cultures goes... Um, I think I've had the most fun with the Klingons. Okay. Uh, second, I think, might be uh, the Cardassians, especially with Deep Space Nine. Sure. Uh, Deep Space Nine, as, as Herman Zimmerman put it, you know, as production designer, he said, we had to start thinking like Cardassians. Mm. You know, um, taking cues from the wardrobe, taking cues from the makeup. And, you know, you look at those, those neck bulges, those arches, um, uh, those sorts of things, uh, we will take those cues and, and try to work them into things like the hardware. Um, a lot of alien hardware, just because it's an alien of the week, we have to get the drawings out the door. Right. Um, they end up being sort of bronzy colored with uh, green or purple accents. Okay, and that, that's kind of a fallback. Uh, and it's not being lazy. It's been, you know, it's it's working under pressure. Episodic television is a harsh mistress. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, we really did try to keep all of the hardware, um, and just just like just like the wardrobe and makeup did, we tried to keep the hardware distinct um, from Starfleet, distinct from each other. Uh, I like doing the Romulans because there, there was a lot of a retro a retro feel to it, the 30s kind of a, a look to it mm. uh, and I, I just you know I just had a ball with, with all of the different cultures when I ask sort of a, a similar question though um, so you, you talked about what you enjoy designing and, and what stands out to you um, but when you look at all the work that you guys did on multiple Star Trek series for multiple cultures, everything down to labels and, and buttons on computer interfaces, and stuff, do you look at the world now and you, you see design elements and you go, I know where they got that. They got that from Star Trek, <laughs> you know? Well, in, in, in a way, I, you know, I jokingly tell people, you know, okay, I, I drew up the iPod in 19... 19- 87, you know, right. which turned into the pad. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think in that case, it was a, 
it, it, it was a case of, of a couple of people having the same idea and arriving at the same the same stylistic mm-hmm. decisions. Um, uh, you know, Starfleet is, is a very simple, very streamlined, uh, I, and I hate the word futuristic, but you know, in the future, everything is is sleeker, flatter, uh, rounded corners. Wireless. It's just like a Mac, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but but it's it's one of these things where, where you know how can you not get to that that design style. Um, I know that a lot of people talk to Mike Rakuda about this, but um, but you, you are very much a part of that team as well. You you are you know equal to all of those people that you know. You're talking about Herman Zimmerman. All of you design the look and feel of the future, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 24th century look that lasted for decades on TV and in movies. And for as much credit as people rightfully give to Star Trek, the original series, and they look at a communicator and they say, oh, look, and I got a flip phone, and then I got another phone that did something even better than that. Um, I think we look at computer interfaces and we look at logos and design elements in that period of Star Trek, 24th century Star Trek, and sooner or later you see it creep into the products that we use every day. Exactly. And... and, and uh even even more advanced in, in a lot of ways than than the equipment that we designed yeah. for the show. Um, yeah. Although I have to say that you know separate devices like the communicator, the badge, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. Uh, communicator, tricorder, and pad all did separate things, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no reason why you could not talk to the tricorder. We just didn't use it that way. Right. Okay. Uh, on the show, each of these devices gave the actors a little, you know, bit of what they call, you know, a little bit of business sure. to do. And it, uh, you know, and, and the audiences understood if you tap your badge, you're talking to somebody else, or you're talking to the, you know, the onboard computer, uh, things like that. Um, now, pretty soon, your your you know your smartphone is is going to behave like all of these devices put together. Yeah. Um, and maybe even a phaser if we're lucky. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of uh, people um, and scratching my head, uh, how can we make science fiction devices even more advanced? I have to sit back and think about that. Because this, you know, real technology has, has caught up and in some ways surpassed us. Uh, a lot faster than I, I, I would have ever imagined. No. I mean, now we still don't have warp drive. Yeah. Okay, a lot. You know, a lot of this tech. You know, we're very safe. Yeah. Okay, we don't even have standard fusion engines. <laughs> you know, um, but in terms of the, the the personal electronics and things and computers uh, and uh, you know automated systems and, and so forth, um, that's. Those are progressing amazingly fast. I, I was having a conversation with somebody here at the convention the other day about that, saying that when you take a prop like a book, you know, Captain Kirk collects books, or he wears glasses, or something like that, then, then you ground the character, and it's something that I and an audience, uh, you know, in late 20th, early 21st century, I can look at and I can identify with. 
And the idea that Star Trek could and maybe should, I, I, I don't know, I, I kind of vacillate on the answer here, go further and further into the future, then what does that hardware become? What, how are the stories affected by that when things that are so fantastical, things that, like you were saying, the technology then becomes something completely different? How do you even conceive of what that, te- what that technology would be? to the point that you stop being able to identify with the character and that character's problems. Yeah. Well, I, you know, some you know, some people have, have thought that uh, and you know, and you hear little bits of this at things like TED Talks mm-hmm. and uh, South by Southwest and, and you know, will all of this super miniaturized technology simply be implanted in our heads? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, from from a uh, from a TV or movie dramatic standpoint, that's astoundingly boring. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, but but is that the thing that's going to happen? Okay, are we going to have you know terabytes or petabytes of, of uh, capacity built into our heads? Uh, are we going to be able to you know order up a pizza simply by you know? Twitching our faces a little bit, and, it, and then it appears. Um, I keep trying, but it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so I mean, you know, we're we're in we're in this constant transitional period. You mm. know, from from older tech to newer tech. Uh, how do you show it? How do you uh, how do you create uh, wonderful stories that people can can actually understand? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, and you know, and it, it, it takes a while. Okay, um, I I I, am, I I firmly believe that we will never totally ditch the book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, books are books are wonderful records. They don't require any power. You know. Um, uh, but having said that, I am I am donating a, a lot of my older library. To uh, you know, uh, places like the the uh, library system in California, simply because books weigh a lot more than the internet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I'm but I'm making smart choices about which books I want to keep. Right, uh, and, I, and I think you can say that the, sort of the same thing about technology. There there are technologies that we should hang on to, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe improve. Um, you know, and and other technologies that we should just explore like crazy, uh, you know, to see what they can do for us. So if you would please introduce yourself. I am Rosemary Huang. I um, am am an aerospace engineer working for the Aerospace Corporation. Basically, I'm a rocket scientist. Basically, I'm a rocket scientist. That's another phrase you hear often. Basically, (laughs) it's rocket science. I mean, you know, it's not like rocket science is brain surgery. No. See, because that's the other thing. Or rocket surgery. No, it's not that at all. Well, it could be, probably. Am I? I don't know. Yeah. So, well, I mean, the the whole reason we're talking to you is what is the reason that you are a rocket scientist? Uh, It's because of Star Trek, the next generation. I was uh, a kid watching it, and it inspired me with its realistic portrayal of like spaceship exploration and uh, I wanted so bad to be a part of it and uh, at first 
I thought the way to do it was to become an astronaut, which um, I, my physical attributes, like my eyesight and my height, make it kind of hard. But um, just as good as I pursued a PhD in aerospace engineering, and now I work as a rocket scientist doing uh, spacecraft and rocket trajectories for a living. Well, okay, now something that you just said was that the, the realistic portrayal of space exploration in the next generation is what stuck with you. Yeah. So, what I mean, other than transporters and warp drives and stuff that you may be working on right now, even in your head as we do this interview, and I don't know it, but what, what are those things that you said, yeah, that that's the thing that I can do or, or want to do or want to help other people be able to do? Um... Because I'm terrified of the Borg, and if what you're working on is a way for us to reach oh, the Delta yeah. Quadrant, I, I don't want that. Yeah, um, uh, basically, um, the actors and actresses made it so real that, made an, uh, the illusions so real that it seemed like they were actually on the ship going somewhere. And yeah. that's, that's what um, inspired me as a kid. Of course, back then I didn't know much about engineering, but I, I was fascinated by all the technology, and I still think some of it may be possible. It's just, uh, it might take us a little while to get there. But we have the pads, you know? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We got pads. We got communicators. Yeah. 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 So uh, some of the stuff may not be so far-fetched. <laughs> well, so you do, what do you work on on the day-to-day? Do you? I um, am an expert in uh, low-thrust trajectories. Uh, basically, um, what you, uh, on, you know about Deep Space One, there was that ion engine on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah those type of trajectories differ from other typical um, spacecraft trajectories in that it's so such a low, uh, has such low force that mm-hmm. you need to use special tools to um, come up with the tra- trajectories. And that's what I'm an expert at, you know. So uh, that's my PhD work. And how long have you been coming to Star Trek conventions? Um, I'm pretty old. <laughs> I've been coming since the Next Generation days when it was originally airing. Mm, awesome. So, yeah. Very cool. And what, what is it about this? I mean, it, is it meeting the celebrities? Um, it's this time around, this is the first time I've gone in years, and this is the first time I've gone since I've gotten my job, and I just wanted to talk to people were involved to thank them for what they have done for my life. Basically, I wouldn't be here without them. Uh, the actors who've done such a great job portraying their characters and uh, talking to Rod Roddenberry to let him know his father's legacy. I'm probably one of many who were inspired by uh, Star Trek to become rocket scientists or physicists or astrophysicists. You know, so. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that my primary reason to, to come here this time was to thank everybody. Are there other people at work who are in the same boat as you? Um, some others are Star Wars fans. Oh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about that. Okay. <laughs> um, they like Star Trek, but I always feel like since Star Trek is the only reason I'm doing this, that I kind of uh, am like indebted to it you know so i i come here a lot Uh, others are fans but i think they were uh uh, not as like uh 
dedicated as me it's coming <laughs> go, go ahead I'm sorry yeah I uh, I've watched all the series just because I want the adventure to continue uh, because uh, the stories are so compelling and uh, I enjoyed all of them but uh, my main one was the next generation because that was what what I grew up with um, but I'm hoping that the other series like Voyager have has inspired young girls to pursue science like I did you know because uh, there's a lot of pressure in society or expectations of what a girl can do you know and um, I kind of had that in the background when uh, I was pursuing my PhD and I was thinking hmm, maybe there is a limit to what I can do but Star Trek kept me motivated to finish what I was doing and and um, get this wonderful job and without it I wouldn't have made it I think. so that's probably why I'm so loyal to it <laughs> Yeah, feel free to edit out anything where I was belittling other cultures. (laughs) Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. 